Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So, uh, this is, well, it's it's literally our, our 201st episode, uh, <laughs> but we're going to call this episode 200. Um, and this episode, we're kind of going to kind of take a page out of Morrow's book. Um, you know, when he hits a milestone with his articles, he goes back and sort of talks about his favorites from the last hundred articles. So we're not going to trouble you with 100 or 200 podcast episodes, but we are going to talk about our 10 favorite episodes that we've done, the ones that we think you will enjoy the most, and uh, just want to point you in the direction of some of our best stuff. But before we dig into today's topic, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits, including ad-free episodes for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, uh, let's jump right in. Uh, I want to talk about this first episode. Uh, this is going to be our episode on what leads to bad games and how to avoid them. Um, and rather than just sort of like, you know, extemporaneously spit some suggestions about like, um, well, well, basically like we looked at the, the least fun games we've played and tried to identify what led to that. And often it can be problems in deck building, uh, and that's kind of what we focused on in the episode. It can also be problems with play. Uh, that's certainly an issue too. Um, but this is an episode I, th- I think will be pretty useful just because like, uh, clearly if we're listening to this podcast, if we're really diving into Commander, we're doing it because we want to get the most out of our hobby and just have a good time doing it. So I, I think that this can really help lead... A- ameliorate some of the problems like being in top deck mode uh getting blown out really badly um like a lot of problems especially for decks that commit a lot of permanence to the board decks that aren't good at uh like refilling their hand recouping their losses recovering uh, those are really the kind of problems we want to focus on um but we cover a wide variety of bad games and i think this is a good episode to if if you find that maybe you've been leaving your commander games a little more salty or if you just haven't been having less fun than you used to perhaps uh this is a pretty good episode and offers a lot of suggestions for how to fix that Mm -hmm. so i i have two thoughts about this episode the first one is that uh i uh think we as we started it with like a pretty philosophical idea about like is it a bad game if like one person gets like mana screwed or mana flooded and everyone else can play like what like what makes the bad game because there's certain things that just in magic are going to happen and um there's more likelihood that they happen in a four-player game because like one person might get like mana screwed and there's four chances of that happening where like in a one-on-one game, like it might be one game out of five, you end up playing at a tournament with a player, like in a round or something like that is the one where you're like, Oh no, I lost cause I got mana screwed. So it's like more likely to see stuff like that happening and like have somebody's experience be that. But like, does that make it a bad game? Um, I don't know. I mean, kind of a little bit, but like, <laughs> can you avoid that? Is that just built in to the thing? So I, I think like processing, like and and what the episode did was pretty cool is like asking like what leads to dissatisfaction and what can you change i think that was a pretty good like point of the episode because that's something that i think most playgroups should be asking or looking for like if you're not having a good time with the playgroup that you're normally playing with like really like take a little like a minute to yourself be a little introspective and be like okay well like why was that game not fun what happened um and was anything in my control cuz maybe you're you're in this like one in a thousand or one in a few million i guess chance or, or actually higher than that of like you got mana screwed like 
four games in a row and you're not sure if it's your deck or what's going on, maybe you're shuffling bad. Um, that's completely different than like, oh, whenever my opponent plays Hapatra, I'm upset. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like those are questions you're really going to have to ask yourself. So I think uh, the coolest thing about that episode was that it looks at like, why are you having a bad time and what can we do to fix it? So we asked like uh, perceptions aligning, um, like uh advantages given for different reasons like denial decks in your metagame stuff like that so it's cool i I really liked it yeah yeah and and um i I like that it did emphasize communication like not all problems can be solved at the deck building level some of it is setting the right expectations with your play group and so there's advice in there on how to deal with that Mm -hmm. and and honestly like before we move on i think this is still we still have like room in this space where we could like look at something we might be able to uh look at like what cards are being played most in an episode in the future and like see if that matches up with like perceptions or what we're hearing from like people in our discord or like the twitter discourse and whatnot um because a lot of times when we do like aggregate the data and like make more like number based episodes like i've found that they match up with people's perceptions pretty well like the another episode we're going to talk about in in this one but uh do you want to move on to uh another deck that you or another deck (laughs) do you want to move on to another episode that you liked a lot yes uh, this one uh I, i really did enjoy and that was in part because we were sort of um you know we identified a new source of data and uh, drew some insights from it. Um, so this episode we're going to talk talking about next is one and done decks. So I have d- just in the course of like doing set reviews, um, you know, I've accrued hundreds of deck lists on my um, on my Archidect account, and so you know some of those decks, you know, I, I liked enough to actually build and and put together in paper. Um, so and and basically what I did is I went through all the decks in my architect list that I had built at some point and then looked at the ones that I had later deconstructed and then sort of figured out what was the reason that I ended up pulling it apart and found that like there were some common themes some like strong categories that arose from this process. Um so this I think this is a really useful uh, episode just for figuring out, like, is it worth it to pull the trigger on this deck list that I'm really excited about? Do I want to, you know, put everything in my cart using my Commander Theory affiliate link, of course, and actually buy and put this deck together? Or is it something that I'm just going to get bored of in a couple weeks and pull it apart and feel like I've wasted my money? So, uh, just like a brief taste of some of the categories in this episode, we've got like uninteractive combo, kind of like all or nothing decks that are really uh, dependent on their commander, decks that are too oppressive and and a big big like mismatch for the power level of my playgroup, um, decks that kind of play the same way every time, uh, and then I look at the ones that have survived the longest, the ones that. You know, I put together maybe years ago at this point and just never felt the need to take them apart to try to look at some of the positive characteristics um, that you should be looking for in decks if you want them to stick around for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I think this episode was like, for a lot of listeners, is pretty relatable. Like, uh, I know you and me brew a lot and try to think of ideas and we're like the whole point of the the podcast is like looking at like what do these commanders add to the format and you kind of can only do that by building the tech or building mm-hmm. a version of it to kind of see like where it wants to push you and what is good and what isn't um and i know a lot of listeners also like to brew and do quirky things and see what's going on so i feel like this was like a relatable <laughs> episode for for me and and listeners who are like yeah you know i totally did make uh like Corvold goblins one time and it was just way too good. <laughs> like I thought it would have <laughs> like nerfed things and it didn't work out just because Corvold was insane, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, 
because I think in general, this is a lesson that I'm still learning. I'll put a deck together and not realize that, you know, it's too oppressive or it's like really uninteractive um, or it's just all or nothing. The all or nothing is one that like, absolutely, I'm guilty of still <laughs> still <laughs> doing of just like a deck that either is on or off. Um, cough, uh, Strephon, our progenitor. Um, you either are doing the thing and making a bunch of blood or Strephon costs like 12 and you're sitting there in your red black deck like oh man (laughs) oops so i think this one was pretty relatable and it's it's, i think the lessons in this episode are ones that i really tried to take to heart too of like what is fun what is not fun like what is fun for me but not fun for the table and uh like what am i going to have a good time and actually want to spend my money on so i feel like a lot of my decks recently have been a lot closer to home than they were pretty much because of this episode, because I was able to like identify uh, build patterns and play patterns that are not fun for me or my opponents. So uh, this one pretty cool. If you haven't listened to it, I would definitely go back and listen to this one. Yeah, I think so. Uh, It's definitely worth taking a listen to. I also really like this next, I mean, I guess I can't say that about every single episode we talk about today, but they are our, our greatest hits. Um, so this next episode I want to talk about is cards we were wrong about. Um, so this is something I, you know, I take pride in in this podcast. <laughs> like we uh, we do our predictions and then we check our results. And this was basically like a, a longer term example of that you know we went back several years uh and and looked through our set reviews and basically identified cards where you know we were either really high on the card uh or more often you know we were low on a card and then it ended up seeing huge adoption on edh rec um so basically we were looking for a mismatch between our initial evaluation of the card and how big it ended up being in the format um and i think this is just like uh it was help i mean it was fun you know not just because we like quoted our own set review and you got to hear our like incredibly bad takes on some of these cards um but you also uh we also like tried to identify what was it about the card that made us uh yeah, evaluate so it, it incorrectly yeah mm-hmm. um and and with the goal of trying to make it so that we could set our expect or set our uh predictions better in the future just be more accurate going forward i think so it, i think it did too i mean i learned a lot from this episode and going back honestly and there, there's so many sets that have come out since that we probably could do this again and look at like <laughs> again we could do like a part two with cards from like the last two or three years and like see again what was going on just because like we, some of we will be wrong eventually yeah. yeah like some of these like uh like the uh simic ascendancy i remember like looking at and being like oh wow people are really going for it and then i remember like building with simic ascendancy after this and being like oh it's actually like way easier <laughs> than I thought it was to mm-hmm. to do this. So um just stuff like that. It's it's interesting to see like uh, usually what it was is it, we we missed the other direction. There's a few cards that um have come around in our favor. So uh for instance, there's a certain white core spirit uh nudge nudge that people have been playing Ye- with since yeah. the episode. <laughs> Um, so like absolutely when we did the episode Skyclave Apparition was, um, pretty underplayed. Yeah. Not shining really. Mm -hmm. And now that's not true. Now people have realized that we were right (laughs) and and that they should play it. But then there's some cards like Soulseer, which, uh, I have played a ton of Soulseer is a red, if you don't know it, cause no one plays it, uh, red instant two and a, uh, two and a red for three mana volume. Deals five damage to a creature or planeswalker that permanent loses indestructible until end of turn. I have found this card to be amazing in all my decks that don't have good creature kill. My like red blue decks or mm-hmm. my like uh uh red red green, green decks, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. And it's been very, very good for me. Um the fact that it hits planeswalkers is really nice, and five and losing indestructible comes up 
so often, like so often. It's so annoying how much indestructible <laughs> comes up um, <laughs> that this has been really good for me. And it's still in only it's still in less than a thousand decks on EDA track. So mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to see how perceptions within my playgroup and the wider community have changed and how they've aligned over the years. So this is one I definitely go back to and listen to. Um, if I was a listener, if you're bored, if you're like got an extra long car drive or something like that, that you, <laughs> you got to do. But um, it's also interesting to see just how we were wrong about stuff like priest of forgotten gods, which uh, just the trigger. We were like, wow, you got to sack two triggers. So priest of the forgotten gods is a one, two human cleric for two mana, one in a black. And it has this gnarly trigger. It's tap, sacrifice two other creatures, any number of target players each lose two life and sack a creature. You add two black and draw a card. So we were like, wow, two creatures is pretty steep, though. But it just turns out that's actually not that hard for a lot of decks to do. Um, and like everybody sacking a creature every turn while you like ramp and draw cards. <laughs> like, turns out it was a lot easier than we assumed. And a lot of people play with this card. So like definitely streamlined uh my thought processes on cards like this and i i think uh this episode did a really good job of like getting us in line with like where a majority of players are basically mm-hmm. like really really because i don't think we bat less than uh 50 uh, now on uh card or the prediction predictions yeah. i don't think we've missed that badly in like two years now i think we we routinely get five or six and every now and then like nickel get like nine or something or like an eight so um yeah I, I really do think this episode like honed us in on something that we didn't see before mm-hmm. uh all right are you ready to move on to the next one yeah absolutely uh so this next one is uh really digging into something we talk a lot about on the show um so the name of the episode is building with common combo engines but really it's about critical mass and identifying like those combo pieces for which there are tons of redundancy uh, so that you can really easily assemble them consistently. Uh, so these are basically focusing on the, the kinds of combos that recur very, very frequently on like commander Spellbook, for example, because there'll be like, you know, 20 entries that are just swapping out a single card with one of its many variants. So one of the examples of these modular combos is like sack outlet, persist creature, and then some way to either negate the minus one minus one counters or uh, add a plus one plus one counter to cancel it out. So uh, this is like one easy combo where there's, you know, at least a dozen different options for each of these three pillars needed to make the combo go off. Um, Another common one that we talk about a lot is like the extra turn combo where you've got some sort of extra turn spell that doesn't exile itself, some sort of ETV creature that can recur the spell from your graveyard, and then some sort of engine like a bouncer blink engine that can repeatedly reuse that ETB trigger. Um, So we go through a lot of these. I think it's worth listening just to have a better understanding of what these combo engines are, how easily you can fit them into your deck. Um, like, and like if your deck, for example, is struggling to find a win condition, you can look through these and identify like, Oh, it's this, uh, this effect has a lot of, uh, different variants in my colors and I can probably put it together consistently. Uh, this can just be like my game plan for if the, things start going too long um, and also if you're just interested in combos um, it is worth taking a look at because there's a lot of um, a lot of advice for how to consistently make your your deck do its thing yeah and and just a lot of tech like maybe like one thing isn't working for you like one card or one card's bad in your deck so maybe that's part of the modular piece and you can switch out that like reassembling skeleton for something that fits your playstyle a little bit more, but um, really, I think like, uh huh. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I th- I think something that's interesting about this episode is so the one of the ideas for it came from a friend, and I was talking to him, and he was listening to like our set review. I can't remember which set it was. Whenever one of the ones around when this episode came out, and he was like, "Yeah, whenever you guys talk about like combo commanders, you'll say like 
and then you can win from there. But like, what does that mean? And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, you talk about comboing, but like what combos? And I was like, well, you know, like the common ones. Cause like the, the spell book or the, you know, like all these, there's all these discords with like combos that are like aggregated and even EDH track has like a combo page now. Um, and this was before the EDH right combo page too. And so he was like, yeah, no, I don't know what you mean. Like when you say you get a Phyrexian altar and I was like, Oh, I guess we can just say that. <laughs> I guess we could just like list out the ways. Cause it's like, I think it's helpful just to see too what the line is so that like, if you have a deck and you want to avoid the combo too, it's also helpful to be like, Oh, well, I have a commander that like makes tokens when blank happens. So if I put a Phyrexian Arena in, like I'm going to combo immediately. And if that's something you want to avoid, because uh, I do know it's a thing where like I've done it, other people have done it. You like build a deck, and then as you're playing, you're like, "Oh, I just assembled a combo." Everyone, I didn't know this was in here, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, everyone kind of gets a little upset. Like, sure, sure, you didn't know. <laughs> then this is kind of a good episode to listen to to like know what the lines are and what the pieces could be so you can avoid that kind of uh upsetting thing and i know i've done a pretty good job of this um over over the last few years too and again it's kind of this episode that really kind of honed me in on like what are the things to look for for combos what are it it also like makes board evaluation a lot easier too if you know a lot of these things like if you look over and someone has like a devoted druid um and like they're playing a miracle deck you can kind of be like Okay, you just need a sack out, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like you, we just need a, we're one wrath away from possibly losing this whole game or something, mm-hmm. you know, like it makes like board evaluation like trivial if you do know like what the powerful synergies and the combos are. Um, I also want to point out um, that this episode is really useful if you're more of a budget player um, because like, you know, everyone knows about Phyrexian Altar, but Phyrexian Altar is you know, even on the back of a recent reprinting in Double Masters 2022, it's still $35. Like, there's a lot of common combo pieces that are just uh, prohibitively expensive for a lot of players. So the fact that this episode is all about listing out, like, every single possible alternative is going to make it way easier for you to find things that do fit your budget and ways to, to play the game without having to break the bank. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely because like comboing like there's a lot of combos that revolve around like a very important piece like the phyrexian altar or um i don't know what's an what's an untap one that is is pretty expensive. expensive these days uh, well staff like, of domination was expensive for a while I don't know yeah if it still is. or like the time warps can be really expensive stuff like that but mm-hmm. if you know that like you can buy a walk the aeons for three bucks. Like you can still do these combos if you want to, you know, like, like there's ways around the expensive cards to still get what you want. Like a blasting station might be a little expensive, but it's a lot less expensive than a Phyrexian altar, Mm -hmm. you know? So you can still combo if you want and uh, do it on a budget. Cause, uh, everybody, you know, just cause you like one style of play doesn't mean you should be relegated to, only buying forty fifty dollar cards mm-hmm. to make your deck work that's crazy so yeah i like i really liked this one too um do you want to move on to the next episode that we really liked yeah this one is a doozy yeah. <laughs> uh so basically this was us uh, uh this required a lot of mm, like spherical cow type calculus. <laughs> Yeah. Um, basically, what we were trying to do with this episode, well, and I'll, I'll introduce it first. So, this episode is quantifying color power level in Commander. Um, and basically, what we were trying to do is um, apply some of the things we we talked about a lot on the show to try to come up with like mm, a relatively objective look at color power. Um, and the way we did that was we sort of broke down good stuff into a couple of broad categories. So things like your ability to answer your opponent's threats, uh, your ability to increase your own resources, um, and your ability to win the game. 
And what we did is we like went through each color and tried to identify like how many good, like competitively priced effects there were in each of these different categories uh, to try to get a sense of like not only can this color do something, but are there enough of them that you can do it consistently? Like when swords and path to exile, you know, just a couple of years ago, really, when swords and path to exile were your only instant speed spot removal spells in white, like, can you really say white is like effective at spot removal if you've got like a two in 99 chance of drawing one of these cards? Um, so that's kind of what we're and and whereas you can con- contrast it with that with black where you've got you doom blade you go for the throat your blah 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 victim of night there, there's so many options at a very competitive rate that you can expect uh to see you can put enough in your deck that you can always expect to see one by the time you need it uh so we ended up so, so again that there's a lot of uh hand waving a lot of like trying to reduce things down to raw numbers and perhaps losing some nuance in the in the process but i think we did end up at like really clear or rather like the final tally we got like the final scores we got for these Mm -hmm. um for these colors did kind of track with our experience of playing the game and 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 to cut you off and the like when we compared the numbers to eda track i think too Mm -hmm. you know so it wasn't just like we did these things and got these numbers that no one has seen before it was like like when you checked on eda track that matched up (laughs) yeah uh so you know after doing this tally and trying to like convert the the you know the the cards that are broadly played the good cards in each color into raw numbers uh we found that like green and uh blue were kind of leading the pack black was a little just a little bit behind them and then white and red were both doing pretty terribly i I recommend like listening to the episode to try to see exactly like where we identified the the weakest points of each color were um and then we actually came back and did another episode later where we looked at the multicolor identities and saw like, well, okay, you know, green is really bad at spot removal, but if you combine it with black, then you uh, can sh- sort of shore up those weak- weaknesses and just sort of identified like what color pairs are most complementary to each other um, and which ones like kind of duplicate each other's weaknesses and end up worse off as a result. Um, so I, I thought this was, uh, really fun to do really granular. Of course you can like quibble a whole lot about like the individual, like, Oh, you said this card wasn't quite good enough. Um, you know, there's yeah. <laughs> a lot of room for that. Um, and of course, like things have changed over time. We did, uh, record this episode close to three years ago. So it doesn't have the benefit of some of the more recent, say, white cards that have fixed, well, not quite fixed, that have uh, addressed some of these weaknesses, that have ameliorated some of these weaknesses. Um, But I think it was a a really good exercise and gave us some interesting information. Yeah, I think this is a really good time to talk about this episode, too, because we just recently did our check-in on Mono White. That was last week's episode. Mm -hmm. So I think if you want to check the work i would look into this episode here there'll be a link in the show description to all of these episodes if you want to listen to them um i think it's a good time to listen back to this too because like we talk about last week like how even though white has gotten a lot like this is the tldr like it still isn't all the way there like we still need redundancy even though we're getting cool new effects like what about the second cool new effect what about the third doom blade you know like that kind of stuff. We we don't really have a lot of those yet. So, um I really do think that like getting lost in the weeds is one of the things that makes uh like debating magic things like very difficult, like whether you're talking about like hybrid cards in monocolor decks or like the power level, relative power level of commanders or um like colors and things like that, like the weeds is the entire you know like 
that's the forest that you're lost in at that mm-hmm. point. So like looking at like the forest and like kind of ignoring the fact that there are trees around you just for a moment, just to like kind of get your bearings and figure out where you're at, I think is really important. And this episode does a really good job. I, I think the best job, I don't think anyone has ever done anything like this is not like me trying to toot our own horn, but like, I don't think any content creator has done something like that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this um and i think that it really did um kind of show us and like give a lot of people um like the juice to to go into their lgs and advocate for white and advocate for their favorite colors or like talk about things in an informed way as opposed to just like well whenever i play this deck it wins like uh-huh you know stuff like that so i i really like this is an episode i'm really proud of um and I think it's totally worth going back to, <laughs> mm-hmm. really honestly. Um, so let's, I guess, let's get on to the next one. We went from super analytical to uh, this next episode. Or can I can I read this one off? Yes, go for it. Yeah. So this one was this one was pretty fun. It was uh, pointers for political play. So there's been a lot of cards in the last few years as they've. Uh, kind of created the casual play design team and kind of realized like that commander is important and that they don't want to juice like commanders like Corval and whatnot all the time. Um, there's been a lot more like quote casual cards printed or political cards like quote quote political cards printed. And uh, they like succeed to varying degrees, you know, <laughs> like sometimes they're very good, sometimes they're not. But that's not like just because you're not playing those cards doesn't mean you can't play politically. Um, So this episode was basically about like, how do you play politically? How can you like turn someone else's kill spell into an advantage for you? How can you um, like make sure people are having a good time while also like make some deals, try to get your uh, board state a little bit better. Um, It was a really good episode, I think for, um, and and a very different episode from the last one we were talking about where it's it's a lot more like our experiences and playing with our playgroup and other playgroups. So, yeah, I really think this one was really fun. It's really cool. It's pretty pretty uh easy to get down the gullet, you know. Mhm. Yeah, I think this is uh fun to do. A lot of good advice for uh you know, assuming you're Okay, I, I will say that like one of the main assumptions of this episode is just that your play group is one that sort of like is cool with table talk and deal making. But I think that might be the the majority of commander play groups. Like not everyone wants to just sit in silence and, you know, pass priority with a, with a hand chop gesture. Um, <laughs> so I, I think this is really useful if you find not only like, you know, if you want to enhance your own political play, but also if, there is a political player in your playgroup that is often able to sort of manipulate the table into doing stuff. It does have some advice for just like identifying what they're doing and counteracting it and, and how, and sort of gives you tips for how to neutralize their, their style of play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that's, there are players like uh, maybe you're a Mark Rosewater and you don't like a lot of political like aspects to your your magic you just kind of want to like perform the correct game actions that will lead you to a win so 1v1 is probably better for you but sometimes your friends don't want to play that sometimes you kind of are in a play group where everyone's playing commander it's pretty common these days uh and you want to like avoid playing politically i mean i think this episode still has stuff for you it's still like no this is how you can like amicably (laughs) like avoid these politic questions i think um there's something to be said for like not annoying opponents with mm-hmm. like your deals and your like knowing when to stop pushing too that this episode yes. goes over you know yeah that that's very important like there are a lot of tools in the political toolbox but you also like don't want to overuse them yeah. uh, because then they're going to lose effectiveness so the, the episode does cover that as well mm-hmm. so yeah very cool um and you want to get into, I guess, the next one? Yes. Uh, this is actually a relatively recent one. Yeah, it's very good, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. This is um, uh, basically like 
how to tie the game in Commander, and more specifically, like an assertion that tying the game is the same as winning the game. Yeah. Um, and this was uh, a really fun episode. Um, talks it talks a lot about like some of the ways you can tie the game. Some of which are just like basic game mechanics like oh if you fault line for 40 and everyone takes lethal damage at the same time the game is a tie sure um but we get into a lot of weirder ways that it can happen um so like divine intervention is like a kind of a meme card in our metagame because uh me and a couple me me and like one or two other players are, are really into it uh just as a way to end the game and it leads to um what tends to happen is like people for the most part, like have learned to just stop trying to prevent divine intervention from tying the game and Mm -hmm. instead just like think of it as like a lightning round where they have to eliminate the other players in the game uh, and like send them to hell before the rapture can occur. So it's, so we get into like a couple of weird cases like that. And then a big portion of the episode is just going into some, easy to assemble like tie the game combos and they there's a fair number of them uh and a lot of them are just like only require like two cards or something so they're really not that hard to to draw into or tutor out um and like really a big focus of the episode is um you know if you are doing something if you are placing cards on the board which then cause the game to end if your opponents can't interact with them it looks a hell of a lot like you just won the game um especially for some of these combos so and and like emotionally as someone who has been in a lot of games that were tied like if you instigate the tied game you feel like you won the game and for a lot of people, like they get, they feel like they lost if somebody is, else is able to get off their tie the game combo or, or pull off a divine intervention. Um, so it it really just sort of presents an alternative way of looking at how to end the game and provides a ton of like new combos that you might not have thought of because technically they don't do anything useful for you. Technically, they don't win you the game. But if you come into it with the assumption that tying is the same as winning, then here's a whole bunch of new combos you may not have known about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually really like this. I think that people, there's some people and there's people listening to this right now that probably assume that like tying is equal to losing. You know, it's like I didn't, I wasn't first, so I'm last kind of thing. <laughs> but like in a multiplayer game, like, I think it's pretty easy. Like that's the kind of the context it takes for some people to like flip around and flip the script and be like, Oh no, actually like I'd rather like not lose, you know, like it feels like a win when like everyone holds hands and like ascends into heaven and into game two, as opposed to like, Oh man, like I got killed by the stuffy doll combo (laughs) or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it's just a very different feeling And, and there are way more ways to do it then I think people realize, um, especially like ways in decks that kind of accidentally get there. I think like the Polyraptor um, one is one that I've seen like a lot of casual dinosaur decks accidentally stumble into because they kind of just like scryfall dinosaur, put them all in the cart and like went to Didn't town. realize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, that has definitely happened. Uh, I was playing against a guy on Arena who was playing a Gishath deck and accidentally <laughs> tied the game. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that is, that is something we focus on. And when we're talking about these combos is we really want to emphasize ones that like naturally, uh, end up in decks. So like, for example, Jared Carthalian, uh, a lot of Jared Carthalian decks run stuffy doll and a lot of them also run pariah. So this is just something you can absolutely luck into if you're running like an average Jared Carthalian list. Um, and you know, like you mentioned, the Polyraptor Marauding Raptor. Uh, just I I recommend listening to it because um, even if you're not going to go out of your way to tie the game, uh, 
you it's worth knowing like oh my deck might have this thing that can tie the game and if that's something you really want to avoid okay you should know this and if it's something that and sometimes you might end up in a situation where it's like i know that at this point that i absolutely cannot win the game but i can do this yeah exactly another one that i think is more common now because of all the treasure treasure synergy is the pitiless plunder and the marching machines mm-hmm. um like i've always had a soft spot for like animating artifacts so like march of the machines has always been a card that i've really enjoyed same with like tesseret 1.0 etc all those cards the um not Mariah conjecture the brothers war those those kind of spells like really get like they tickle me you know rise and shine stuff like that Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the pitiless plunder plus March of the Machines, like tying the game combo is like really hits home for me. But it's also one that I think people might see more of these days. There's a lot more like blue black artifact decks. There's like blue black treasure decks. There's blue black sacrifice decks um, that very well could be running both of these cards and not realize it. So mm-hmm. just like stuff like that, pretty innocuous cards that you're like, oh, these are both pretty good in this deck that all of a sudden you're like, oh. Oh no! Go! <laughs> like, oh, oh God! We I guess we're at game game two, guys. Let's go. So something to look forward to. Also, like there's ones that you can go out of your way to. to I, I don't know. You should listen to the episode. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna repeat all of them here. Um, do you want to get into the next one? I think the this is kind of a you uh uh buy one get one free recommendation right here. <laughs> yeah, this this is like uh one of the ones that are are you know lead into a whole series or a part of a whole series um so uh you know we've been doing these consulting the council episodes where we do interviews with wizards employees who are members of the council of colors uh which sort of determines like what new cards they're designing fit into what colors within the color pie and they try to uh, act as a check on mistakes um so the one i'm we're going to link to in the episode description is the the recent one we did it was an an interview with chris mooney all about white and colorless because chris is the current representative for white previously they were the representative for colorless um but it was a fantastic interview i think um it really uh foreshadowed a lot of the recent developments we've seen in white because it came uh, just a couple of months before we really started seeing things change in like Nuka Pena and mm-hmm. uh, Baldur's Gate. Um, and Chris had uh, was just a really engaging guest. Um, apparently, Chris had like just done a presentation on pretty much the exact same thing, like for work yeah. at <laughs> Wizards. Uh, so they were really like, you know, practice and uh, just was a great interview. So really recommend that and if you enjoyed it um we have done interviews with all the other members of the council um and it's worth taking a listen to those too just to see like not only how things have developed recently uh a glimpse at like what what issues wizards is concerned about with some of these colors and like what recent mistakes maybe they regret um so i I think this is a good jumping off point to get into the rest of these interviews, but they're all great. Um, and I, I think y'all will enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's like so many little things like, like this is definitely not like insider trading, but I think like if you listen to these episodes, you can kind of like get a feel for what they like are trying to convince like the public of like, because they have to work so far in advance. Like these episodes end up being these little windows into like what design is thinking about like directions they're trying to push and and like they don't ever tell us anything like straight up or anything like that but i I think listening to the people making the cards like describe their philosophies can give you a lot of hints as to what's going to happen in the future so definitely give these series a look some of them have had multiple entries so for instance like the uh green color uh has had multiple members colorless uh like mono white has had a few changes over the the time we've been doing these so there's a few multiple entries and i think that also is worth listening to like how do these people view this position differently and what is their goal in this and, position yeah and, and how have things changed over time because you can hear that in the interviews as well mm-hmm. yeah which is very very cool so I'm, something i'm like really proud of i think we did a really good job on these um mm-hmm. 
So I guess we're we're kind of getting towards the end here. Do you want to do one of the the last few episodes we're going to talk about today? Yes. Uh, so this next one is uh, the first entry in our Seasons Past series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, one that we, we just kind of like wanted to, we just wanted to like talk about sets and talk about like sort of more general game design stuff, um, or rather more general magic design stuff. And uh, it, it, I think it turned out pretty well and it spawned like more entries in this series. And this like has continues to be pretty popular among the fans. Um, So basically um, in these episodes, we're not incredibly focused on commander for some of the more recent sets. We, that do have legendary creatures. We will talk about that. Um, But really it's uh, telling interesting stories from behind the scenes of these sets uh critiquing the design of these sets um and really just like gushing over the things we love about these sets like we're not uh going through every single set in magic's history we're kind of focusing on ones that like have some particular meaning to us or are meaningful to us uh so you just get to hear us uh you know gush about sets we like and and you know poke fun at some of the sillier aspects of our favorite sets. Um, and also I think we do offer like uh, some pretty at, at times, like saving criticism of the the mistakes of the past. Um, but we do also like highlight the, the achievements and the innovations that um, get introduced because like even sets that were, kind of duds or or maybe don't look so great from a modern lens uh did have a did end up having big impacts on the game like in for the dark in the dark for example like there was a lot of goofy stuff and like a lot of uh, the majority of these designs i think wouldn't see uh the light of day in a a modern set Mm -hmm. but there like the fact that it like focused so much on tone and really led with tone over anything else like it, it they weren't super interested in the mechanics uh in like introducing new mechanics or or really you know innovating from that kind of perspective it's more just like we want to give uh, a very strong feel in the art and design and of the cards um rather and and really look at things from more of a flavor perspective than sets that are just about like you know here's three new mechanics and we kind of mix and match them a little bit and hey there you go um so definitely and it's and of course there's an interesting story behind like why that was the case and why the dark uh was so focused on tone and you should listen to the episode to hear more about it Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i think all of these episodes are really cool because I think another thing too, something that's interesting about old sets like this is particularly like these mid nineties sets from like back when are some of the innovations they had weren't like even necessarily mechanical. It was just like the artists they hired or um, how they thought about a set or like creature types, like is really broad things that we think of as just part of magic now were like kind of revelations back then. So it's mm-hmm. cool to look back and see like, what did these old sets do? How are they trying to sell themselves? Uh, what are the cool cards and how many of the cards from back then we do still play with? Like the, it is true that like power creep, you know, whatever, blah, 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 that a lot of cards have been pushed out, but a lot of the cards that have been pushed out are like six, sixes for five, you know, <laughs> like, like, I used to play spirit monger a lot in black green decks and I don't any anymore because mm-hmm. what is it's a, basically a vanilla six, five. No one really plays doom blade anymore. You know, <laughs> like, like that's, that it just is what it is. But, um, some of these cards like the Felwar stone and things like that are just things you see and things you're going to see in commander. And they have a legacy s- stretching all the way back to the dark, you know? So very cool um, to look back and have fun just kind of like gushing over things that like really entranced us like when we were starting to play and starting to look at magic cards because i think one of the things that sells magic in general is just like how cool the cards look like the Mm -hmm. art in them like how they get your like mind like working so the dark absolutely did that for me and nick definitely 
Uh, all right, are you ready to move on to the last episode we're going to be discussing today? Yes, yeah, this is the one that I was going to put on here, absolutely, and I saw you already did, so I was like, <laughs> yes, nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so this last episode is, uh, well, we, we call it Commander Theory 101, um, and it's there, there are some concepts we like constantly refer back to uh, when we do episodes that are focused more on decks or uh, during set reviews. And so this episode just sort of lays out these common um, these common pieces of advice and and uh, that that we've like frequently reference um, and and sort of explains like how we got to thinking about things in this way, um, like why we believe, for example, that uh, you know planeswalkers are not good in commander, or why like we think like that you need that to run a certain number of cards in order to consistently see that effect over the course of a game and how you can figure out what number that is. Um, so I, I think that this is a great episode just for introducing a lot of the, the theories and, and themes of the podcast. Uh, so it's a really good starting point just to understand all the stuff we talk about regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like one of the things that I had realized and one of the reasons I like had pitched this episode to Nick when we were like talking about what episodes we wanted to do was like we'd gained a decent amount of new listeners and we've had like repeated refrains that we like used to talk about more like explicitly that just kind of were things we said during like set reviews for instance or or like talking about cards in episodes that um I think if you're new to the podcast, you probably wouldn't like necessarily know, like you might be able to extrapolate why it was, but like, I think explicitly laying out the reason for like, why does commander theory talk about cards this way? Why do we like certain cards more than others? Like where, like where are our biases coming from? And this episode, I think shows that pretty well. And it kind of gives you an idea as a listener as to like, why it is we are talking about cards the way we do and talking about decks the way we do um and uh yeah i think like nick said it's just a really good intro into our thought processes and we'll make the rest of the episodes you listen to of this podcast like make a little bit more sense too mm-hmm. um because you don't have to agree with us like you might be like, no, I really like Maelstrom Pulse. I think that's like a great inst- like non-instant speed removal card or like Vindicate or whatever. And like, you know, that's fine. But the things we say in this episode are still basically true. You're still only playing 25% of the time if you only play on your turn, you know, like, mm-hmm. or not assumptions. There's a lot of setup. What am I thinking of? <laughs> There's a lot of things that make cards like make or break cards in Commander because of the way the format is structured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say, like, we do, in this episode, we do make it clear sort of um, what type of meta we are really thinking about when we're evaluating cards. Um, Because, like, you know, if you are in a more casual meta and people are trying to do battle cruisery things, that would certainly, like, change your card evaluation. And we try to point that out. Like, this piece of advice like may not be true if you are in a slower meta and you have a lot of time to set up and you don't have to worry about interaction quite so much um so we we try to like lay out that kind of groundwork as well and and so you can figure out like what pieces of advice might not necessarily apply to you uh so hopefully that also helps a little bit to digest the the commander theory content that we put out Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's fun. I mean, I think it's one of the things that like, like magic does for all of us, and it, like especially deck building is like you can kind of get out of your head for a little while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if I'm building a deck, then I'm not thinking about all of the like things I'm going to have to do tomorrow, or like the stress, like things that are stressing me out, or whatever. Like, it's it's a little bit of escape, like not just in playing the game, but like in deck building. And this episode, I think, can really like show you like why like what we're thinking about like why we're thinking about it and kind of maybe like help you to think about things too in the deck building process and just kind of have fun with it um and and also make sure that whatever commander you're building is like gonna be fun you know like maybe you've been trying to make 
a deck work and you listen to this episode and you realize like, oh, you know, if I like, it'll be sad to cut these cards, but you know, I can put them in another deck, but this deck really needs more like win conditions or it needs more like I need to cut these planeswalkers. It's not like a super friends deck and I need to put in more like, uh, like a critical mass of mana ramp or something like that. Like Mm -hmm. that, that's what this episode I think is really good at too. So, um, definitely give it a listen absolutely i really like this episode and i hope uh, i mean it kind of looked like everybody did <laughs> it, it was it was pretty all right so um yeah and i think with that we've made it to the end so is there this was kind of looking back at a lot of stuff we've done stuff we're proud of and stuff we liked like what are you looking forward to like in the future like is there anything in particular that like you like do you like the interview episodes do you like when we get analytical um i don't know is there any spoilers you want to talk about and if not then i'll just cut this section (laughs) uh i'll just say that um you know we are always on the lookout for new sources of data to inform um to inform like the conversation about commander like for example when we had our our episode about Bellevue, um, you know, we talked about that that guy, and, and ooh, hold on, I actually have his name somewhere. Oh, Red, yeah, someone got in touch. Yeah, let's see. Here we go, Park. Uh, yeah, Park. Park. Was, yeah, there we go. Park was the name of the guy who had um, pulled that information together uh, about Wheel of Misfortune and what numbers people typically chose. Um, so that was really good info. Um, and we of course like have some patrons who have collected info. Like we had an episode where we were able to find out that arena's, uh, historic brawl matchmaking was broken, um, because, uh, because of information pulled together by Raphael, who just diligently, uh, tracked all his pairings in, uh, historic brawl on arena. So if you have, interesting sources of data please get in touch with us because we love digging into that stuff and trying to figure out what it means for the format um that's that's all i'll say in terms of like future facing stuff yeah no i'm i'm excited to do a lot of stuff some of which you'll hear soon some of which is long-term plans but um i think what we're doing now we kind of are a lot better at it than, than we used to be, which makes sense because we've been doing it for a while. So um, I'm just glad people also want to hear it. So thank you all for listening all these years. Thank you all for like supporting us. And and honestly, like we literally couldn't do it without all of you. Like the the way that this podcast is transformed because of the listenership and like the honestly the drive to like keep it going and keep making good stuff is all because you all give us the feedback that we need to make it happen whether that's like hey this kind of like was not good and we can go like oh okay i'll fix it or like hey i really loved this thing then it's like oh that's great that someone cared about this like that's it's really awesome to hear that kind of stuff so thank you all for listening all these years and we'll see you in like we'll see you next week but we'll also hopefully see you in another hundred episodes (laughs) whenever that happens yes definitely um Well, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. So I'm going to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons, uh, without whom we definitely couldn't have made it to 200 episodes. Uh, They are Gustav, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, James, Logan, Roger, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, and... Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Andrea, Vasilios, Logan, Frugal Riddle, Carl Oscar, Danny B, Mifflin, Jean-Francois, Drew, Recta, Nick, BJ, and Cameron. Uh, you'd think after 200 episodes, I might be a little bit smoother with that, but uh, thank you all for supporting the show. And uh, if you're not currently a Patreon patron, but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Commander Theory. And on Twitter, I am at Fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. 
Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think. <laughs>